We're going to read from one of the biographies of Jesus' life. So if you would uh, take a Bible, if you have one, or nudge a neighbor so that you can share, or quickly download the app on your iPhone. We're going to read from a biography of Jesus by a guy called Matthew. And what we find in Matthew's Gospel is that when Jesus teaches his followers, his disciples... Often there are people listening in over the disciples' shoulders to what Jesus is saying. So that once he has spoken to his followers, Jesus then often turns to these listeners in who are on a spectrum from indifference or curiosity to hatred of him. And he answers their questions and he deals with their objections. Now if you consider yourself not to be a follower of Jesus and to be on that scale of curiosity to hatred, as you listen to the words of Jesus, and as we explore a little bit of what they mean for Christians, can I encourage you to come up with your objections, to bring them to the forefront of your mind, so that once we've thought about this for Christians, we'll then turn to your objections and see if we can answer a few of them. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. It's on page 974 of your Bibles in front of you, and we're going to read from Verse 35. And we read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his Disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Well, it's important that before we try and understand God's word, we pray and ask him for his help. So uh, let's do that before we begin. Sovereign God, left to our own ability, we could read your word all day long. And be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. Please would you unstop our ears, open our eyes, and cause our hearts to understand that we may meet Jesus. And we ask this not by right, but in your kindness to us through him. Amen. There are few things in the world which simultaneously fascinate me and irritate me as TV advertising. It's a real love-hate relationship. On the love side, I don't know if you've seen the new Iron Brew advert, but a, a man walks through the countryside, and as he cracks open his brew, uh, the darkness turns to glorious sunshine. And this man leaps through the countryside, and he befriends animals, and he skips hand and hoof with these uh, sheep and through puddles and across fields. And so kind is this man that he leads them to his house, and welcomes them in. And it's only in the last scene of the advert that with a, smi- a sly smile on his face, his house is actually his butcher shop. <laughs> Phenomenal, the advert says. On the other side of things, the irritation side of things, you'll know these adverts. It's a soft focus camera. There's that kind of innocuous fluffy music. And there are these puppy dogs having a whale of a time in a puppy paradise. Then the camera switches and a rainy dark night in an abandoned car park. You see a little dog cowering in the corner and the voice comes on, my name's Bruno, 
you're now conversing with a dog. And he says, I was abandoned here by my owner eight years ago, and he, he never came back. Now, at this stage in the adverts, you must not, under any circumstances, do not look in that puppy's eyes. Because if you do, you will be hooked for the rest of your days, paying a pound a week to provide Bruno with health and support in Dog's Trust. See, these adverts, they grasp at our emotions. They stir us emotion in order that we may act, that we may give our money. But in reality, over the news in the last two weeks, there have been things more deserving of our emotions than dogs who are homeless. We've seen horrible floods in Pakistan that we've already thought of tonight that have ravaged the lives of 14 million people, I think the latest figures are. 1,600 people killed. And statistics don't do much for us. But you could fill every seat in this church twice over with dead bodies. It's heart-wrenching, isn't it? Grasp for our emotions, deservedly so. Or think of was it uh, Dr. Karen Wu, um, the aid worker in Afghanistan who was brutally murdered. I wonder what your gut reaction was for her fiancé when you heard that news. Our heart yearns for him. Or closer to home, how about uh, the events of Slateford Road last Wednesday? I guess some of us are still trying to get our heads round what could cause a mother to stab to death her three young children. And when you think of the father, how your heart bleeds for him. He thought he was just fighting for the right to see his children, never mind fighting for their lives. And if you're anything like me, your heart does bleed for these people. Um, If you're human, I guess, you have these emotions that you suffer with them. That's what compassion is. You see the suffering of someone else and it causes you to suffer with them. There is, I guess, for some of us, the feeling that we ought to suffer more, feel more for them. But actually, we're more concerned about the rising price of petrol and milk for the under fives than we are for people in Pakistan. Maybe there are some of us who actually suppress those feelings and we wish we cared less. We turn the telly off. We don't look into the eyes because we have enough suffering to deal with on our own. And so we turn off the telly. We turn off the news. We close the newspaper. And I'm sure that some of you, like me, just feel your helplessness. Yeah, I I suffer with them. I have compassion for with them. But what can I do for 14 million people in Pakistan? I'm impotent in my compassion. Well, much has changed in 2,000 years. But the, the brutal punches that still meet humanity are the same. They are as old as the hills. And when you read the biography of Jesus' life, as he wanders through the region of Galilee, he is confronted with the same things that meet us in our newspapers. So if you skim the last three, few chapters of Matthew, you see Jesus meeting people in dire need. He meets a leper with an incurable skin disease. He meets a paralytic who can't walk. He meets people with uh, fevers. Um, You even see him caught in a fishing boat. A furious storm comes up, threatening to kill all those on board. And then he comes face to face with a father who has just lost his daughter. Your heart bleeds. The difference with Jesus, however, though, he doesn't join us in our inability to help. 
You scan through these meetings of Jesus, and with all the authority of heaven and earth, with the authority of God, Jesus heals the leper. He heals the paralytic. He rids the woman of the fever. He calms the storm, even at a word. And for that father who's lost his daughter, he raises her from death to life as easy as he wakes her from a slumber. In these previous chapters, we've had this widescreen view of the actions of Jesus. You get a wide lens, wide TV angle of the impact he's having in this place. A wide view of the crowds that are following, the buzz that surrounds this man. But then look in chapter 9, verse 36. We go from wide lens to a high definition, slim shot of the eyes of Jesus. Do you see that? Verse 36. So when he saw the crowds, Matthew focuses us on Jesus' eyes. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw, when you gaze into the eyes of Jesus, you see a man not only of tremendous authority, but a man of deep emotion. The Jesus of the Gospels is a man of great feeling. You gaze into his eyes and his phenomenal power is harmonized beautifully with his phenomenal compassion. His heart, his gut, his very being is wrenched. He suffers when he sees other people suffer. He has compassion for them. We see his eyes. We have a fascination with eyes, don't we? Just try and count up in your head how many love songs you can name that focus on people's eyes or are addressed to brown-eyed girls. You don't get love songs written about people's ears. You don't get love songs about people's chin. We love eyes. Gaze into the eyes of Jesus. Have a a gaze for a few seconds into Jesus' eyes. And you see the most beautiful eyes in the world. Not because they are big and brown, but because of how they see and the way they see. When he saw, he had compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You don't need to know much about sheep to get the picture here. Sheep are not intelligent animals. They're not foragers. They're not hunters. They're not predators. Their teeth are only vicious enough to threaten grass. Their legs are too stumpy to run from any enemy. See, it's the shepherd's job and not the sheep's to find fresh grass. It's the shepherd's job and not the sheep to find fresh water. It's the shepherd's job and not the sheep to defend from those ravaging wolves. A sheep that has wandered from the shepherd is vulnerable and in great danger. It's like a tourist in a hire car trying to negotiate the one-way system of Edinburgh. It is as good as dead. A sheep wandering from his shepherd might as well be on your plate, smothered in gravy and surrounded by parsnips. A sheep without a shepherd is in huge danger. And when we gaze into these beautiful eyes of Jesus, we see a man who suffers with these people. He has compassion on them. It's it's intriguing, isn't it? He's just seen a massive amount of different problems. Some lepers, some paralytics, some bereaving, some struggling from natural disasters. And yet Jesus boils all these things down to one. 
He boils them all down to that universal, deep, common issue. He says they are shepherdless. They need a shepherd, one who won't harass them but have compassion on them, one who's not unable to help but powerful to lead. You gaze into these eyes and you see a man of great compassion. Now survey for a second your crowd. Look to the people that you see on a daily basis. I could focus you on the hundreds and thousands of tourists that come to Edinburgh at this time of year. And you see them bustling down the mind and you think, what a nuisance. <laughs> what, they, they make my journey home from work a lot longer. They invade my personal space on the bus. They're a general stain on our otherwise beautiful city. Well, actually, gaze into the eyes of Jesus for a couple of seconds and let his gaze of compassion reflect off your own. And you see not happy, bustling tourists, but sheep who are lost and helpless, who are leading each other astray and into great danger. But when it comes to our hearts, it is true that one individual trumps the masses. So leave behind the hundreds and thousands and choose one. Maybe the guy you sit opposite at work. Maybe that old faithful friend. Or maybe that uh, rebellious son. And think back to Psalm 23 that we read at the start. How precious are the words of Psalm 23 to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Well now invert Psalm 23. And hear it from the words of that colleague or friend or son. And they say to you, The Lord is not my shepherd. And I will always be in want. No one makes me lie down in green pastures. No one leads me to quiet waters. I have no one to restore my broken soul. I am lost in paths of Wickedness. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I fear every evil, for no one is with me. I long for a shepherd's rod and staff to comfort me, but I am consumed on the table of my enemies and my cup, well, my cup is empty. And it is sure that wickedness and enmity will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell outside of the house of the Lord forever. What is your gut reaction? What is your core emotion when you hear those words? So your friend's greatest need is not that promotion. Your colleague's greatest need is not for Mr. Wright to walk into their life. Your son's greatest need is not the resolution of his unemployment worries. But their greatest needs is the fact that they have no shepherd. No one who will lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. Their greatest need is to have their hand clasped into the hand of the great shepherd who will lead them through and provide for their needs. As we gaze into your eyes, as we gaze into your eyes, do we see eyes of compassion? Wouldn't it it change our whole perspective on the world if compassion for the lost was as natural to us as giggling when tickled? 
So what do we do with this compassion? What is, what is the command? What is the outflow of this compassion? Well, look at verse 38. Verse 38 reads, Go, shout out the gospel. Tell the world. Shout it from the rooftops. Uh, no, actually. Look at verse 38. Ask, that is pray. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The immediate command, the really effective thing the outflow for your compassion is prayer. To pray every day, Lord, send more people out into the world to tell of Jesus. It's, it's actually helpfully humbling. See what this says to you? You are not the shepherds. You are not the answer to the world's troubles. You are not the Lord of the harvest. You cannot do this work alone. You are only a sheep. And prayer forces us to look beyond ourselves to the shepherd that people really need. Will you be compassionate enough to give yourself to prayer? But what's intriguing is these disciples who Jesus speaks to actually become the answer to their own prayer. They say, Lord, send out people. And then have a look at chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. They become the answer to their own prayers. Praying for laborers to be sent out into the, the harvest field is a dangerous prayer. It's a risky prayer. Because you might just become the answer. You might be the one who goes and tells. The integrity of your prayers, the sincerity of your compassion is proved by your subsequent endeavors. There's no such thing as a silent compassion. We pray and then we tell. And so our aim as Christians, Jesus says to us, he says, gaze into my eyes. And we hope that as we do so, his compassion would be contagious. Contagious enough to compassionize, that's not a word, compassionize our eyes. That his compassion would rub off on us. Wouldn't it be great at the end of your life, say at your funeral, that your friends were to chat about you and they could say verse 36 about you. They could say, when Michael saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When Margaret saw the crowds, she had compassion on them. That she prayed and then she told. Do you have these eyes of compassion? Well, that is the challenge for Christians. But let me move to those of us here tonight who are those listeners in. Those who find themselves on the spectrum from curiosity to hatred of Jesus. Um, what do they, what, what, how do we deal with these objections? We're just going to cover two tonight. But two which I think are quite pertinent that may have risen to the, service, the surface is you've heard this teaching of Jesus. Here's number one. Objection number one. Christians that I have met have been far from compassionate. That, unfortunately, is the personal testimony of many. That Christians have been the people that have hurt you the most. That may be direct pain. It may be indirect indifference. That the Christian that's brought you along or the Christian you work next to has barely even given you the time of day to chat to you, never mind introduce you to this great Savior. Or maybe it's a historical Thing. You go to the Crusades and you say, how do you, 
How do you align the murderous crusades with the compassion of Christianity? And in your mind, these things are just completely juxtaposed. They don't fit together. Well, let me say, not to excuse any of the personal hurts that you may have experienced, but to say apologetically, to say humbly, please see past us stubborn sheep to the good and perfect shepherds. See, as sheep, we ought to reflect our shepherds. But the reality is we are a pale and feeble reflection. I would ask you to, uh, to see past us. It's interesting, as you read through the four biographies of Jesus' life, if you were to search for this word compassion, it's used many times, but it is only ever used of Jesus, which is interesting. I think the point is, you don't get this compassion anywhere else. This is a unique compassion that comes in the person of the Lord Jesus. As a world, we tend to stand away from those who are outcasts in society, even away from those who are suffering, because we're just scared that we're going to offend or say the wrong thing. Or maybe we're scared to get our hands dirty, so we cross the road or we avoid them or we put them in homes and we, we just stand away from them. Well, see this shepherd in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called the friend of sinners. He was one who was familiar with suffering. No one who came to him did he turn away. There was none too bad, none too dirty, none too loathsome, none too embarrassing. He alone is the compassionate one who welcomed every single one who came to him. Uh, objection, you may say again, you can go to any world religion and find compassion. You go to Hinduism and one of the three core virtues is compassion. Or you go to Islam and everything they say or do is prefaced by invoking the name of God, the merciful and compassionate. Well, the unique thing about Christianity, the unique thing about the compassion of the Christian gods is that he does not stand away from us, at arm's length. But in the person of Jesus Christ, he has come near. In the person of Jesus, he has come and he has walked our road and he has felt our pain. In Jesus, we have one who knows what it is to cry. We have one who knows what it is to be tired. And so he can sympathize with you intimately in your struggles. And yet again, he comes as the one with perfect authority to be the one powerful enough to lead you through those struggles. And as shepherd, he deals with our fundamental sheepness. The Bible says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. That deep, common, fundamental need of all humanity is that we have rejected the shepherd of Jesus. We have turned our back on him and we have wandered our own way and therefore we are deserving of death. Death's inevitable. We thought of that earlier. A sheep who wanders from the shepherd will die and we deserve to face the valley of the shadow of death that is spread before us alone to be devoured by it. But in Jesus, we have one who does not only suffer with us, 
We have one who suffers for us. The shepherd, as it were, became a sheep, brutally harassed, spat upon, mocked, rejected, even nailed to a cross. He was a sheep to the slaughter, and he was so, not by accident, but that so he might be devoured in death instead of me, so that he dies in my place, so that as I approach that valley of the shadow of death, deservingly so as a rebellious sheep, Jesus comes and says, hold my hand, I have walked this road before, I have been through death, and I can lead you safely through. And because I rose again, I have the promise of getting you through death to dwell with me in my house forever. Please, see past us stubborn sheep to the shepherd, the compassionate one who cares for you so much he does not only suffer with you, but he will suffer for you even unto death. Well, let's consider one final objection. Objection one, Christians I have met aren't compassionate. Well, look to the shepherds, see past the sheep. Objection number two, I think is also quite a common one. It would go something like, what arrogance of Christians to think that I need their compassion? What arrogance to think that I need a shepherd over me? It may be that you see no reason why you ought to submit. You ought to put your life into the hands of someone else. So far in life, you've, you've done all right. You've got this far. I guess it may be that uh, we have that attitude where we think that we have the right to make our decisions and that no one has a right to tell us what to do. And for some of us, it will be the real experience that any um, experience of authority that we have had has been horrendous. Maybe at work it's been exploitation. Maybe at home it's been abuse. Well, can I say that every, every experience of authority is not necessarily an ugly or tyrannical thing. It can be a beautiful thing. Think of our newborn baby who is held by its father, massively vulnerable, but the father has great power and he cares the world for this child. And even as we grow up, we still place our hands into our life into the hands of others. So think when you go on a plane, you're trusting that the person has the authority to fly that plane and cares enough to get you there. Or think when you put yourself under the surgeon's knife. You hope that the surgeon has the authority to do what he's doing and you trust that he cares enough to do it well. See, a life lived never under the authority of someone else actually renders us pretty vulnerable and pretty limited. And it's also not a shameful thing to put your hands, to put your life in the hands of someone else, to give yourself to a shepherd. Think of the child who hides behind his father when a mean dog approaches on the, in the pavement in front. It's not a shameful thing for a drowning man to swim to a rock. But it is a foolish sheep who is too proud to flee to his shepherd when an enemy approaches. As Christians, we have compassion for you. We suffer with you, not because we're better than you, 
not because we think we're above you, but actually because we are fellow helpless sheep who have found the greatest of shepherds. We have found one who cares for us with phenomenal power and loves us with phenomenal compassion. Not one of us has he ever lost. Not one of us has he ever turned away. And I would plead with you to see past your own limitations, past your own vulnerability, to care enough for your own soul, to have compassion on yourself enough to place yourself in the hands of the great shepherds. Maybe tonight you feel or you're aware of your sheepness, aware of your helplessness in a harassing world, conscious of your wandering away from this good shepherd. And you're wondering, how do I claim him as my own? How can I put my life in the hands of the one who will lead me through death? Well, you remember the outlet of compassion for a Christian was prayer. And the same is true for you. To find yourself under the care of this shepherd, too, you must pray. And a prayer is going to come up on the screen that says three very simple things to this shepherd. It first says, I'm sorry for my sheep-like wanderings. It next says, thank you for the compassionate shepherds. And finally it says, please, may I be one protected, cared for, loved for, led by the shepherds. If you know your helplessness, if you know your wanderings and your rejection of him, I plead with you, you must Put your life into his hands. I'm going to pray this prayer slowly. And if that is your needs, then please just pray these words in the quietness of your own hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that like a sheep I have turned away from the good shepherds. Thank you that Jesus saw my helplessness and came to die in my place. Please forgive me and enable me to follow Jesus as my living shepherd. Amen. If that has been your prayer tonight, then please come and tell one of your fellow sheep. We would love to rejoice with you as part of the flock of Jesus Christ. If you still have objections that we've not covered, if you have questions, then please come and speak to David or Robin or myself. We'll be downstairs at the doors afterwards uh, or come back the next couple of weeks. We would love to help you explore this person of Jesus Christ. But to close, we're going to sing a hymn. And it's one that sheep love to